Hi, welcome to the Yo and Renee podcast. I'm your host, Yo and Renee, and in this podcast, we will talk about philosophy, religion, political thought, and culture. I hope you enjoy. And here we are. Welcome to the Yo and Renee podcast. I am your host, Yo and Renee Schaper, and today I'm going to talk about the new or maybe old wave of anti-Semitism that is hitting the Jewish community and America and England um, and the Jewish responses to that. And with me, I have a very special guest, uh, the director of Zaka, which is uh, an organization that fights for justice for survivors of child sex abuse in focus on the Orthodox community. Um, Usher Lovi. How are you doing, Usher? I'm good. A quick disclaimer, Usher, is that how you say it? I'm too foreign. Disclaimer, Usher and I are really good friends, so this is not like... Uh, this is not going to be uh, an NPR version, I guess, of an interview. <laughs> so, um, I don't. Let's just go straight into the anti-Semitism. I mean, uh, uh, we have seen a couple of uh, last year. We saw a couple of anti-Semitic violent acts. We of course saw the Tree of Life shooting, which was done by a white supremacist, and then there was the uh, New Jersey uh, store. That was yeah, that's 11, December 11th, um, which was presumed black Hebrew Israelites, I think. And then there was a, a crazy guy who went into a synagogue, a shul in Monsi, and he stabbed some Jews. And then there's a bunch of Jews being punched in New York. I mean, there's a whole pile on. And now we got a a Twitter uh, attack on the Jews, um, which is openly anti-Semitic. You know, when they talk about Ihan Omar, when they're like, oh, this is anti-Semitic, that is anti-Semitic, people are reading like these, these like, he says bankers or this and that, you know, right. that's anti which it could be. I'm not saying it's not, but it's not overt if it is, and it might not be, right? But here, of course, straight up, the Jews are evil. So um, I saw you made a long Facebook post about it. It's pretty well, yeah. well shared. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I, I've been meaning to, to write something about this for a while, about anti-Semitism, because it's one of the things that that I care about very much, that, that I see people having a very difficult time talking about. Um, I was raised by two survivors of the Holocaust. Both my grandparents who raised me um, uh, were inside concentration camps. My grandmother, to a lesser extent, she was deported with her mother from Belgium to, uh, I don't know what the camp was, but I, I believe it was in 1939. Um, her, father, uh, was, her father was Polish, her mother was Belgian, so her uh, her father was kept in a concentration camp and ended up dying uh, of, of disease um, in, in a concentration camp. She and her mother and the rest of the siblings uh, escaped to, to Switzerland um, near the Italian border. Uh, and I believe she came to the U.S. when she was eight. Um, my grandfather was Hungarian and deported to Auschwitz in 1944. Uh, ended up escaping and came to the U.S. in the early 50s, I believe. He stayed He stayed around in Europe a little bit after the war with his brother. Uh, and he ended up coming in the early 50s and set himself up here. So I was raised by, by, by both of those people. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm somewhat of a, general, uh, of a generational anomaly because I'm, I'm, I'm only 28 years old, but I was raised by survivors of the Holocaust. So like a lot of the the um, secondary traumas and a lot of the experiences of being raised with Holocaust survivors, a lot of the values, a lot of the the generational trauma, that kind of the kind of stuff, really came across. I, you know, I sit, living with people who can give you eyewitness experiences 
and my grandfather was one of those people who spoke about it. There are some Holocaust survivors who didn't like to speak about it, but my, my grandfather liked to, to speak about it. So hearing that firsthand really left an impression. Um, and uh, it made me take anti-Semitism very seriously. So, uh, you know, most of the time what I post on Facebook and most of the time the issue I deal with is child sexual abuse and getting justice for, for survivors of child sexual abuse and um, going after institutions and people who protect uh, abusers. But, um, but I also post a lot about anti-Semitism because it's an, it's an issue that I really care about. And I saw that people were having difficulty expressing, um, expressing a, opinions uh, that they felt they can, you know, in a way that they felt threaded the needle between concern for, between not trying to label uh, the black community as a whole, uh, in as much as the black community is one monolithic thing, it's not. But you know, people talk about it like that. But people were trying to are, are trying to articulate opinions about it and having difficulty because they're trying hard not to label the black community uh, uh, as as fundamentally anti-Semitic, while also addressing uh, the very real presence of of influences of anti-Semitism in many black communities and among many black leaders, as evidenced by the posts most recently by um, people like Ice Cube, Deshaun Jackson, Nick Cannon, um, and, uh, and Wiley, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, most notably to me anyway, because, you know, I, I, I don't expect, um, I don't expect rappers, TV hosts, and, uh, and football players necessarily to be the biggest scholars on anti-Semitism, um, but when the president of a very old and prominent chapter of the NAACP, in this case, uh, the Philadelphia chapter uh, president, Rodney Muhammad, um, posting memes uh, with the happy merchant on it, on, a, on an arm crushing, crushing people underneath him, um, with pictures of Ice Cube, Deshaun Jackson, and Nick Cannon, and a quote that's misattributed to Voltaire that says, to, to learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. Um, when the when such a person posts a meme like that, um, that that gets me worried, and uh, you know that that that's that, that sort of pushed me out of the laziness that stopped me from writing the long Facebook post I meant to write uh, to finally get around to addressing it. Wow, yeah. So um, wow, yeah. So if 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 you look uh, at the you said the black community is not of course not a unified community. It's not a homogeneous community, like the Jewish community. I always, I always wonder why people say that. I uh, say that, like, the black community, this and that. Why can't you just say black Hebrew Israelite, right? When the Hasidim are being punched, they're saying Orthodox Jews or Hasidim are being punched in the face, right? They don't say all Jews, right? People can narrow down a particular community. So, um, so I always wonder why that's not the case here. Like, why do people talk about uh, African Americans like they're one big group? And, and why would... Jewish people uh, be nervous to talk about that 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 group. Well, people, I think people talk about the black community like it's one thing, the black community, as if all pe black people agree on everything, as if all black people have the same ideas. You know, I think I think it's because a lot of the conversations that 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 happen internal to black communities, you know, are just not meant for the consumption of white communities. You know, we live in a country where segregation. Uh, where where segregation was around by law for a very long time, where in many in in, in many senses segregation is still around, de facto segregation is still around. The the white majority in America has deliberately separated the the uh, uh, black communities out of itself, out of its culture, um, um, out of its mainstream for a very long time. So of course there are communities that exist outside of the view 
of, of, of what mainstream white people see every day. So, you know, take for, 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 for example, a statement that comes up every time a black person is accused of doing something wrong, you know, any kind of crime at all, right? Um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a media story, there's, there's a story in the news about a black person who robs a convenience store, let's say, right? And, and there's a picture, uh, the mugshot, uh, you know, of the guy, and it shows, it, it shows, like, the image of every bad stereotype that, pe that, that white people have about black people, right? And people comment on, on the story and they say, oh, if only the black community had leaders, right? If only the black community had leaders, you know, this wouldn't happen. Why, do, why don't the black community talk about black-on-black uh, uh, -black violence? Why doesn't the black community talk about people pulling up their pants? Why doesn't the black community talk about fathers? Why doesn't the black community talk about education? It's like... Black communities have these conversations. There are all sorts of organizations that are dedicated to this sort of thing. They're just not happening for the consumption of white people. They're happening internally, right? Um, much in the same way that there's a lot of conversations that happen internal to the Jewish com community and Jewish communities that are not meant for the consumption of the public. There's stuff that gets posted on Yeshiva World and Vesas Nias and conversations that we have each other in, Jew in, in Jewish media sources that are not meant for public consumption, right? So... Right, and like, for instance, if a speaker comes to speak about a Jewish issue, he goes to our synagogue, he's not going to go on CNN to talk about a Jewish issue on CNN. He comes to our synagogue to speak about it. Yeah. yeah. I, very much, uh, I very much relate to this. Of course, I am from Europe, and we have a very different uh, history. But what, what you, you said that you think systemic racism is, is still around, even though these institutions are gone. And I, I think for Jewish people to internalize that, like what you just said earlier, is namely... You carried on, like your family trauma was carried on to you, to the second generation, or you're like the third generation, mm -hmm. but second generation. That trauma carries on, attitudes carry on, fears carry on. Jewish people are very scared of a lot of things, uh, especially you're from Brooklyn, and in Brooklyn there's a whole community of uh, Holocaust survivors mm -hmm. and their family members. And that, that carries on in the mind of the community and on how they see other people. And uh, um, it, that carries on in... Um, in, uh, in, in Europe, it carries on like that there is, uh, uh, how would I say this in English? In Europe, it carry, in Europe, it carries on that like there's certain places and certain events that happened that made Jews do certain things. For instance, uh, historically, Jews were the merchants. They couldn't do business, right? And that has an effect on the Jewish community. Maybe not today, less, but it, certainly in the 19th century, that had an effect on the Jewish community because of... of, of uh, of these institutions, even though the institutions, feudalism had ended, right? Jews weren't allowed to be something else in the 19th, late 19th century, but they still were, the effects were still noticeable. They were still living in the same neighborhoods and Jewish people, they can relate to that. I don't know if they make these connections, but they can relate to that. When we say there is like a society problem, then even though the institution doesn't exist, the effect's still there, both in the mind of the people. And I think also in the outsider's mind, I think Americans, Americans, whites, they have a way of talk, talking and being around African-Americans that I, myself as a European, just don't have. Like when I lived in Memphis, uh, whenever I would, whenever a black person would come in the room, like people would like start changing their attitude, the, the white people, or white Jewish people actually, you know, and I always wondered what it was because I couldn't relate to it because I'm not from this culture. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of that comes from... <clears throat> You know, we all know, we, we all know whether we acknowledge it in public or not, that, that systemic racism still exists. 
And we know it for exactly the same for, for exactly the reason that you just mentioned. A lot of people are very uncomfortable talking to black people, you know, honestly. Because they know that 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 they're not on equal footing. You know, like a white person and a black person may have an uncomfortable time talking because they know that they're not on an equal footing. Like they they know that black people are facing certain things that white people uh uh writ large in this country did to to, to uh, uh, did to them over over a couple of hundred years. They know that there are still things that are faced by black people. They they know that there are still prejudices. They know that there are still various inequities that black people face, and it makes them very uncomfortable. It's not like you know. There's this attitude that like you know Martin Luther King civil rights movement fixed everything in the '60s, and we're cool now. Like you know, it's it was a clean slate, and that's it, right? But if, if that were actually true, first of all, systemic racism wouldn't exist. And we see the effects of it. We have studies of it. It's documented, right? It's not, not really a negotiable point, even though a lot of people want to make it one. But, like, we're not actually cool. Like, culturally, we're not cool. We know that it's not fixed. We know that that's a lie that we tell ourselves, that, like, everything got fixed when, when Martin Luther King got the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act passed. It's not true. And I, I, I think that a lot of that discomfort comes from that... From, from that innate understanding that there's a lot that's still wrong, but it's very, it's very uncomfortable to talk about publicly um, because it's difficult to admit that whether, you want, that, that whether you want to be or not, that you're benefiting from something, that, that you're benefiting from a fundamental inequality that, that, that exists in this country, that has existed for a very long time, that was literally written into the founding documents um, um, of this country. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm a white skinned Jewish person. I benefit from, uh, uh, from, from these systems in the sense that I don't have to worry about not being hired because of, of my name or if a picture is, is, is included because of my skin color. I don't have to worry about being pulled over by police, you know, more often on the highway because they see, they, they see me driving by and they see my skin is white, right? I don't have to worry if I rent a really nice car that I'm going to get pulled over and accused of stealing it. I don't have to worry about if I'm walking through, you know, a predominantly white neighborhood, a white affluent neighborhood that somebody's going to stop me, right? Whether it's police or a neighborhood watch person is going to stop me because I don't belong in this neighborhood, right? I don't have to worry about that. And I know that. And it makes me uncomfortable, right? And when I'm you know, and, 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 and when, exactly as you said, you know, when like I'm in a room of, of, of white people and a black person walks into the room, I think that a lot of the discomfort that people feel is, this, is this, this palpable understanding that this imbalance exists, that nobody really wants to address it in any meaningful way. So we're all kind of tiptoeing around it at all times. Right. People sometimes when they would talk about black issues, they would start whispering, even though there's no one who's around, like maybe here and there, people at work, you know. They will talk about it. And they, they won't even say anything big at it. They were just talking about it. They would whisper. So, yeah, I think we're somewhat on the same page. I'm, of course, politically more right-wing. I always say I'm a European right-winger so that Americans don't get triggered, right? Unless they think about it long enough, it's kind of gets scary. But let's <laughs> move on, right? But, uh, but let's... So, but, but we, we, I do, I do, I'm very sympathetic to these issues, but I'm also very alien to it. I really feel like an outsider now more than ever. Um... Which, you know, it's not a big deal. I lived in the Middle East for a while. I was an outsider there. You know, I'm a pale Dutch guy. I got burned by the sun. He but, means Israel. Well, I like to say Middle East because then it feels like I'm like cultured and I traveled to Egypt. Or no, Israel, right. Just the Jewish dude. Israel. So, but now we're going to talk about, uh, there's so much to talk about. But now we're going to talk about, let's talk about the anti-Semitism in, in the 
well, we're not going to say black community now because we just said that was a little fallacious. Uh, we're anti-Semitism in the black Hebrew Israelite community and Farrakhan. Uh, we had conversations about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always thought that people would like drawing Farrakhan and it's like, oh, this is all Farrakhan. I'm like, think, well, the nation of Islam doesn't believe that African-Americans are the true Israelites. They have a very different belief about what Israelites are and where people come from. So I was thought, no, this is a separate thing. But you, you, you recently told me that it, there are connections there uh, on an ideological level, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily on an ideological level. It, I, it's, more, it's more that, and this is true of all forms of anti-Semitism that I've seen. Um, you know, the, there, there are very specific forms of anti-Semitism that are particular to different groups. So, for example... There's the origin story of of of, of nation of of nation of Islam that involves, you know, a, a, a rogue scientist creating the white race to to destroy black people, um, um, and 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 part of this involves you know, in in arc of Jewish control of things, white Jewish control of of, of of things. It mixes in with a lot of different tropes about Jews being uh, bad landlords, of Jews being in control of the media, of Jews running shadowy organizations that control governments. Like that's that's that that's particular to that's it's not necessarily particular to nation uh, to, to nation of Islam. It exists in a lot of anti-Semitic c- c- systems of conspiracy theory. Black Hebrew Israelite has a different thing. It's got it's got that the the people who are called the Jews now. Are 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 really Khazar converts who stole the the identity of of of, of Jewishness of, of 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 being a Hebrew of being the people chosen by God from the Bible from the actual Hebrews who are black people and 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 this is like a a, a white Jewish um, conspiracy to to eradicate the the true culture of, of of black people. These are two separate things, two very very separate things. Ideologically, they they don't necessarily mix. However, when it comes to anti-Semitism, there are there are there are often overlaps. I mean, cultures of anti-Semitism tend to borrow from each other. For example, um, when when Bill Cooper uh, uh, wrote his book Behold a Pale Horus um, about all sorts of crazy conspiracy theories about how the New World Order, you know, is is structured in this world. In his book, he included a lot of passages from the from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, right? Uh, which is a a, 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 a Tsarist Russia era propaganda book about Jews that's meant to be the minutes of meeting of, of something called the Elders of Zion, um, where they discuss how they're you know controlling the the, the world. Um, it ended up being adopted by um, by a lot of Nazi era uh, anti-Semites to, to justify a lot of uh, Nazi actions against the Jews. It made it into this book. And funny enough, Bill Cooper himself was not an anti-Semite. He quoted the protocols of the elders of Zion saying that really, really when the, the book wasn't really the minutes of meeting of a Jewish conspiracy, it was the minutes of the meeting of the Illuminati or some other group. And they blamed the Jews to cover for themselves. So when it says Jew, it really means Illuminati. And when, and when it says Goyim, non-Jews, it really means, you know, everybody else. Uh, they're, they're just throwing the scent off themselves by blaming the Jews. And a lot of this, like, there are a lot of references to, to Bill Cooper in, in, uh, in, in um, you know, 80s and 90s rap. Um, the book was was at some point very popular among that scene. Um, there were a lot of a, 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 a lot of black people on the hip hop scene who were reading this. Um, 
But they didn't necessarily, like not everybody who's reading Bill Cooper is taking his note of warning about the protocols to like replace the word Jew with Illuminati. They're reading it and they're seeing Jew, right? So like, and, and these same people, some of them might be listening to stuff that Farrakhan is saying and there's overlap in there between the various anti-Semitic ideas. And in general, anti-Semitism in the modern day tends to be this like this amalgamation, this, this, this melting pot, of this the unfortunate melting pot of all these bizarre ideas that... That, that pertain to, 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 to Jews that, that, that have been leveled against Jews over the centuries, that Jews are controlling everything, that Jews are, are, are greedy usurers, uh, that, that Jews are you know, extortionate landlords, that, that, uh, that Jews control all the money, that Jews control all the banks, that Jews are behind all the wars, that Jews are the communists, that Jews are the capitalists, that Jews are everything. All these conspiracy theories tend to, tend to borrow from each other. Right. So, so it's not so much that that Black Hebrew Israelites and, na and Nation of Islam like are ideologically connected. They're 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 not. They're they're very different things, and they're fundamentally incompatible. You can't you can't really believe in BHI ideology and believe in Nation of Islam. They're, they're, the practices are incompatible. The ideologies are incompatible. But what, but but where the overlap is, is that both groups believe. That, that the Jews have taken something from them, either materially, um, culturally, or religiously, um, uh, or have taken their, 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 their identity of, of, of chosen people. And, and when people believe, if your starting point is that the Jews are evil, and that the Jews are masterminds of, of, of a conspiracy to rob you, of, of your identity and of your ability to, to succeed, then you're going to start seeing the connections in other ideologies, even if the base ideologies are incompatible. So when, you know, someone in Black Hebrew Israelites hears Farrakhan talking about the Jew devils who are controlling the, 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 the world and, and putting their boots on the necks of black people, um, they're going to find that compatible with their general idea of Jews because they fundamentally think the Jews are robbing them of their identity as the true Hebrews. Right, right. So, one of the things I have seen uh, that came up recently, uh, I think his name is Ab Rabbi Abraham Cooper, had a conversation with, who was it? Not Nick Cannon, right? Was it Nick Cannon? It, it, it was Nick Cannon, yeah. Nick Cannon, okay. And, and, and they brought up an interesting point that I have heard other people bring up, that Minister Farrakhan to us, right? Minister Farrakhan, I call him, uh, Louis Farrakhan, to us, he is known as an anti-Semite because we have like the six most extreme statements he ever said about Jews. He probably said many more. Uh, and, uh, and and to us, he's, he's an anti-Semite yeah. because, I uh, know, he is an anti-Semite. <laughs> that's how we know him. But uh, Rabbi Cooper and Nick Cannon himself pointed out to the black community, he's much more than that. And I really, that made sense because I think last year was Anita Franklin's funeral. Bill Clinton was on the stage with... Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin. Well, I don't know American culture, okay? <laughs> I'm off the hook. Um, uh, uh, Bill Clinton was on the stage with, uh, with, uh, with Al Sharpton and then Louis Farrakhan. Yeah. And I was like, why is he on the stage with this anti-Semite? And now I think, I guess there's much more complexity to, to that than I originally assumed. Yeah. You have something to say about it? Yeah, so... I think Far I think Farrakhan gets trotted out as like as the big boogeyman of uh, of of you know that the the person who's single-handedly responsible for for anti-Semitism uh, in black communities and uh, and 
and also, therefore, you know, fundamentally nothing but an anti-Semite. I think people don't understand what the history of Nation of Islam is and what role it played in the lives of, of black communities and black people um, from, the, from the 30s and 40s down to the present day. Um, I think a good example for any Jewish Ashkenazim who are listening uh, is, let's say, the way people relate to Rabbi Victor Miller. Now, I don't think the comparison is necessarily that valid. I thought valid. you were going to say Mayor Kahana, because that's what I was thinking about. But yeah. Mayor Kahana might actually be a more valid comparison, but I'm going to go with, with, uh, with, with a Victor Miller, specifically because he's less polarizing within our community than, than, than Kahana is. Um, and I, th I think that's an, that's an important point. Um, uh, a Victor Miller has said a lot of disgusting things about about black people. He has said that slavery ended too early. He has he has called black people animals, um, um, savages, all sorts of nasty, disgusting things about about black people. And yet his his stuff is shared in in synagogues all over in, in shuls. His his papers. Uh, he wrote a book, Taurus of Victor, which is uh, is uh, um, um, sort of uh, explanations and and sermons on. On the on the Torah on the Old Testament um, that have absolutely nothing to do with racism. A lot of it has nothing to do with racism. A lot of it is just his his general opinions on on, on exegesis on the Torah and uh, and some of it's very interesting, right? Most people who like Rabbi Victor Miller's stuff um, don't think of him as a racist, right? They think of him as somebody who had very interesting thoughts on on the Torah. Incidentally, he also had some ideas about black people that were terrible, right? But most people, most, most Orthodox Jews who read Torah Savigdor are not thinking of him as a racist. They're thinking of him as, as a scholar, right? And I think that a lot of uh, that needs to be acknowledged for, for, uh, for Louis Farrakhan as well, where the role that, that Louis Farrakhan played in the community is not, is not like, his function in black communities was not to be an anti-Semite. That's not the service he was providing people. Nation of Islam was providing people with community centers. They were providing people with food. They were, they were providing people with clothing. They were providing people with shelter. They were providing people with, you know, a, a sense of identity. They were going and ministering to people in prisons. They were, you know, cr creating a place and a space for people in this country, for black people in this country who are experiencing the absolute worst that American systemic racism has to offer, right? And that's what Louis Farrakhan and Nation of Islam represents to people who were helped by him, to people who were taught by him, to people who were taught by people who were taught by him. Like, this is the image he has. No one's looking at Louis Farrakhan in black communities. I'm not going to say no one. A lot of people aren't looking at, at Louis Farrakhan in black communities and thinking, oh, this guy is primarily an anti-Semite. But when we think about him, because... None of us have ever stopped in at an NOI mosque and, and, and gotten a meal. None of us have ever stopped by an NOI mosque and gotten free tutoring, right? None of us have ever benefited at all from Nation of Islam. None of us have ever needed to benefit from Nation of Islam. All we get as Jews is, is anti-Semitism from, 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 from Louis Farrakhan. So we, so, so we perceive him as fundamentally an anti-Semite, whereas, you know, uh, uh, black people who... who uh, have praiseworthy things to say or who think fondly of, of Louis Farrakhan are not thinking of him as an anti-Semite. The anti-Semitism might be somewhere present in their consciousness of things that he said, but he's not primarily an anti-Semite. He's kind of, yeah, there are certain problematic things about Louis Farrakhan, but at the end of the day, you know, he's, he's done a lot for the community. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that sort of attitude.
Right. I, I know when I bring I brought up uh, when I bring up Victor Miller's uh, racist comments to people that really like the teachings of Victor Miller, they will say things like, "Oh, well, he's you know he's from pre-war Europe. He's an old man. Like he was from the fifties. You know, like they have all these things." Which I guess uh, explain it, like it explains where he gets his ideas from. Maybe it doesn't justify them, and I think, uh, but people rationalize it. So I think a lot of Jews should like keep that in mind. Like when people are positive about Louis Farrakhan, that do that doesn't necessarily mean that they themselves therefore are anti-Semitic. But that leads us to the next thing because Louis Farrakhan is of course anti-Semitic, and we have seen violence from uh, people that would. I don't think nation. There's no. I don't think any of the acts of violence were particularly done by Nation of Islam members, right? It's always black Hebrew Israelites, the shooting in in, in New Jersey and uh, the stabbing, I think. But, um, but uh, uh, well, we can look it up. Yeah. And but, 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 uh, but he, he, if he's a prominent figure and he has anti-Semitic ideas, those anti-Semitic ideas will seep into his community, you know? So I, I'm not so sure that Grafton Thomas was a... Uh, uh was necessarily motivated by black Hebrew Israelite ideology. I mean, he certainly, there were, there were, um, in his journals, there were references to, to stuff from black Hebrew Israelites. Um, there, there, there was, but there were also references and, 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 and Google searches from all sorts of different, uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. I also think it's unfair to, to lay the blame exclusively at the feet of, um, of black Hebrew Israelites for, for violence committed by black people against Jews, um, because because I, I I I doubt. I mean, take a look at the Brooklyn attacks. You have people who are, you have you have, you have black people who have uh, punched uh, you know Jews in the head, knocked off their hats, yelled at them, uh, pushed women, you know, pushed baby strollers, yelled all sorts of things, attacked old men in the middle of the street. Like the people who did that, I don't. I don't know that we could say that they were all black Hebrew Israelites. I don't think that we could say that they subscribed to black Hebrew is Israelite ideology. I don't think we can say that they necessarily subscribe, per se, to Nation of Islam ideology. I think that if there are certain ideas that are prevalent in there in some communities, right, then then those ideas are going to express themselves in different ways, even if the the people who are expressing them in violent ways don't necessarily subscribe specifically to the ideology. Which actually brings me to a, to to another point about uh, about Louis Farrakhan, um, which is a lot of people like pulling Louis Farrakhan and saying, "Look, last year at Founders Day, he said this crazy anti-Semitic thing, right? And this is why." anti-semitism uh this, this this is why there are anti-semitic attacks happening now because last year louis farrakhan said this thing at founders day i don't attribute that much power to louis farrakhan in the modern day i think it's a little bit different than that it's 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 less about louis farrakhan in the modern day propagating this stuff because because nation of islam is actually not as popular as it used to be um its membership is much lower the influence is is is, is much less he's still a very prominent figure but you know it I think that a lot of the problem. Take a look. I, I think it's important to talk about uh, about Rodney Muhammad's uh, social media post, um, going back to, to to that, the one with Ice Cube, Deshaun Jackson, Nick Cannon, and the Happy Merchant with the hand crushing people and the Voltaire quote that isn't a Voltaire quote. Um, um, I think it's it's important to talk about his personal history because I think it gives us a good idea of what the real problem is. Um, you know, he he was raised. He grew up. Uh, Rodney Muhammad grew up, and just to, to to remind everyone, he's the 
president of the Philadelphia chapter of the NAACP that uh, that that posted this anti-Semitic meme. Um, if you take a look at, at, at where he comes from, um, he was around um, in the 70s uh, uh, in Chicago. Now, in the 70s in Chicago, there was a lot going on. Um, this is when he's growing up. So he, he, was, in, he, he was around um, Operation Breadbasket, which was an SCLC, uh, a Southern Christian Leadership Conference um, project uh, to help black people get jobs. Um, and uh, it was, it was uh, the, the, the Southern Christian Leadership Council is an organization that was founded by Martin Luther King and Ralph Abernathy and, uh, and, and that crowd uh, to, to, you know, to advocate for, uh, well, against, against segregation in the South. Very, very famously, it was the organization that, that, that Martin Luther King used to lead his civil rights movement. Um, so, so he's growing up around Operation Breadbasket, and he's growing up around that influence, but at the same time, Nation of Islam is based in, in, in Chicago at that point. Um, and, and he most likely grew up, uh, you know, attending their events, or at least being influenced by, by the stuff that they were putting out, uh, influenced by people who, who were involved in Nation of, of of Islam in the early '90s, he went to work at um, Mosque Mar Maryam, which is the national mosque, the NOI headquarters. Um, he's cur he's currently a minister at Mosque Number no. Twelve in, Phil in Philadelphia, which is actually it was moved there by Malcolm X in 1962, um, uh, when Malcolm X was still connected with with Nation of of, of Islam. Um, so his whole career has kind of been revolving around Nation of Islam, and he's still involved in Nation of Islam, and he's. He's most likely been around Farrakhan's brand of anti-Semitism for a while now, but but this is a guy who's 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 you know he's working for he's a lawyer who's the head of of, of the Philadelphia chapter of the NAACP. This isn't some fringe kook. This is somebody who's very much involved by every account that I've read. He's very much involved in this community, very involved in in providing for for the black co community in his area. Um, is very committed to fighting against racism, advocating for the rights of black people, um, advocating against systemic racism. This, this isn't some, some crackpot, right, who's, who's, who's spouting these wacky ideas. This is an, an accomplished person who's directly involved in day-to-day -day real stuff that's that's saying the, the, this stuff. Which makes it worse, obviously. Yes, which which is why I'm more concerned with when he posts this stuff than, than when, you know, a rapper or a TV host posts this stuff. Um, and... Uh, uh, and I think that like a lot of the issue is, is that, is that when Farrakhan was a lot more popular in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, um, he was going around teaching a lot of people. You know, there were a lot of people who were hanging around Nation of Islam. He was, he was incredibly popular uh, uh, back then. Um, he, he, he essentially took, I mean, he took over Nation of Islam. I think it was, I think it was the, the late 60s or early 70s. So he was really like, you know, he was, he, he was really in it. Um, at that point, Nation of Islam had started to lose membership, but it still had a pretty broad membership. And, and uh, you know, so, so he's, he's doing his thing. So Farrakhan is doing his thing, and he's doing his teaching about the Nation of Islam ideology. And, and there is a lot of anti-Semitism, and there are a lot of people who grew up around, around that, um, who went out and started their own community projects inspired by, by what they learned in Nation of Islam. Not the anti-Semitism, the the black empowerment stuff. They go out and they get involved in community organizations and they start their own thing. But, but in all that they learned, right, is anti-Semitism because it was coming from Farrakhan and Farrakhan is an anti-Semite, a very open, avowed anti-Semite. 
and it it it, it pervades a lot of a, a, a lot of people's understanding and i think especially given what nation of islam does where it ministers to a lot of the people who have been most hurt by the systemic racism in this country just to take an example like they do work in prisons with people who are who are in prison for an incredibly long time right and they, they, they try to turn their lives around in prison, give them purpose, give them religion, give them focus, help them when they get out of prison, help them get jobs, help them get homes, you know. And if you have somebody who's been so thoroughly oppressed by, by a systemically racist system, it's so much easier. And I can say from experience, not with this, not with racism. I, I've suffered plenty in my own life. I was abused for many years, for the first 23 years of my life. I know... I know what, what it is to relate to suffering. I know what it takes to, to get through it, right? It helps to have a very clear idea of, of what the cause of your problem is, right? If, if the cause of your problem is some abstract nebulous thing that, that has no face, that, 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 that has no texture, that has no tangibility, it's defeating because how are you supposed to fight against that, either internally or externally? How are you supposed to fight against that? How are you supposed to relate to it? enough to to sort of mentally overcome it right it's very difficult if 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 the cause of your suffering is unquantifiable if you're you know some somebody who has no money has no ability to get a job does not have the right to vote is in prison for way longer than you should be because the the law that put you there was was designed to make sure that you as a black person spend the most time you possibly could in prison Right. And someone comes along and they're helping you out. And, they, and, and while they're helping you out, they tell you, you know, who caused your problem? You know why you're in here? You, you know why the system is racist? It's because of the Jews. Right. You're more likely to, to, to believe it because it gives you something to focus your, your, your anger on. It gives you something to, 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 to sort of focus your, your energy on that. I am going to overcome this. This is the obstacle I'm, I'm going to get over. These Jews, I'm going to do better than them. These Jews, I'm going to fight against them. I'm going to overcome this, right? It, it gives people something to, to struggle against. And, and if you're suffering and you're in a situation like that it really helps to have something tangible to struggle against i think that's where a lot of the problem comes from is that is is that this is so appealing because it's specifically being peddled to people who are at rock bottom right i think this several of the points we have raised i think that it's so important for our fellow jews to hear this because not because we want to make an excuse for why people are anti-semitic because anti-semitism violence this is all bad we all agree on that i think both of us are pretty angry about mm -hmm. the situation you know but it's important to know that there's a context to it and it's not just some some nazi army of, of african-americans waiting for the jewish people to, to hurt them because once that creates an atmosphere of fear among the jews and that is not healthy and also i don't think it's I don't think that's a true assessment of the situation. I mean, I'm not as well informed as you are, but I, I, it seems to me that we have, a, uh, because we're the victim of this, obviously, we then tend to see uh, uh, demons that might not be there or demons that we interpret as a genocidal maniac and it's just someone who says something angry in a moment or who, who has a, a, an ideology uh, that, uh, that influences them uh, in a in a in a in an anti-Semitic way, but that matter might not even act on. Right. And I was so surprised when Nick Cannon would like so quickly do chuva, right? And and I was like, well, what is this? 
like this is just some cheap thing he wants to keep his job but then i saw the interview with with with, uh, with abram cooper he did not throw uh lewis farragut under the bus now maybe i want him to throw lewis farragut on the bus but that shows me he's not pretending he's something he's not it's not pretending he's right. still being himself so uh, and he's, so when he says he's not anti-Semitic or he doesn't want to hurt any Jews, like that gives me hope. Is it true? Well, he hasn't ha hurt anyone. You know, he doesn't right. have a record. So I think it's very important for Jewish people to like be aware that like it's it probably less scary than you think. But you know, I don't want to be punched in the street. Obviously, my in-laws are Hasidic. They get I mean, in-laws know specifically, but Hasidim get punched in the street in New York, and uh, and obviously we had the synagogue uh, incidents. I myself got uh, yelled at uh, by some African Americans at the beginning of COVID. Uh, they they accused, uh, they started saying uh, uh, the, the Jews caused COVID, things like that. Um, I don't remember the details even. Wow, it seems so long ago. Yeah. But uh, you know, I didn't feel intimidated, but I did feel annoyed. Right. So uh, so yeah. So but now my question is, and this is something Jews on the political right will be concerned about. Yeah. They feel that. Uh, the political left is, is how do you say this? Is 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 uh, trying to uh, uh, feels that they shouldn't talk about black anti-Semitism because this would take away from their larger cause of social justice, and right. therefore they feel that, that the Jewish left in the Jewish community is hiding it. Right. Do, but do you do you think there's any justification for that uh, fear or that? So hypothesis? I I'm uh, I, I'm involved in a fair amount um i don't want to overstate my importance so so i just i just want to make that disclaimer i am not any sort of important important leftist organizer um i hang around left-wing organizing circles um i'm occasionally asked for my opinion um but i'm not any sort of of organizer in that space i do my own organizing around uh, issues related to child sexual abuse but po politically i am pretty left-wing um, I, I would not call myself like a, a, a liberal or a progressive. I would call myself approaching leftist, um, and uh, and you know I, I feel uh, I feel a solidarity with with, with those. Um, I feel the most solidarity with with opinions that are far left um, more than I necessarily feel a strong passionate solidarity with opinions that are like Joe Biden. You know. So just to give an idea of, 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 of where I am politically, because I, th I think that's fair when we're talking about this so that people understand what my biases are and they understand where, where I spend a lot of my time. Um, this comes up uh, in some of the left-wing spaces that, that I'm part of uh, when I'm allowed in the room to talk about this, that there's, there's this feeling, there's a, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of issues at play. First of all, um, the the majority the majority of jews in this country are ashkenazim so the majority of jews in this country are white-skinned um, um that leads to a lot of a lot of assumptions you know you, you see all these these discussions about are jews white are jews not white you know um first of all i just want to acknowledge a lot of those discussions leave out the existence of 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 Mizrahi Jews, of Sephardi Jews, of Black Jews, of, of of all sorts of Jews of color. Like are, the question, are Jews white? Is is asinine because Jew isn't a, Jew isn't you know a, a race in the sense that like you know it's not just one type of person who's a Jew. It's not from just one you know. I, I mean I mean ultimately I guess we all come from the Middle East, but like over the last well not me. 
over the last, well, yes, you're a convert, uh, over the, 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 the last 2,000 years, we've spread out a lot. We've mixed with a lot of, with a lot of, uh, of, of ethnicities and nationalities and races. And like, there's Jews from all walks of life. So I'm, I'm going to, to acknowledge that at the outset when we talk about this, because I, 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 think, I, I think like it's, it's, not, it's not a fundamental assumption of a lot of people. Um, but, but there's this, because a majority of Jews in this country are white-skinned Ashkenazim, um, um, the feeling in, in a lot of left-wing spaces is that, yes, we have to give, we have to give, you know, we have to give time to anti-Semitism, but fundamentally, at the end of the day, Jews are a lot better off than black people in this country, and, and we don't want to center ourselves when there's a struggle that's, that's either not necessarily more important, but more pressing. Right, like if the majority of Jews aren't facing the kind of systemic of the kind of systemic bigotry that Black people face, then really, like, how much time are we going to dedicate to this problem? Sure, we get you know uh, uh, punched in the face every now and again. We get attacked every now and again. There's a stabbing every now and again. There's a there's a, a shooting every now and again. You know, um, there are racial slurs and swastikas and graffiti every now and again. But like at the end of the day, and, and I'm saying this for myself. I'm not caric I'm not caricaturing the, the 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 left. I I really feel this way, and I would defy anybody to argue with me sincerely that 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 white Jews, white skinned Jews in this country, have it a lot better off than than black people in this country. They face a lot less systemic dis discrimination and even outright violence than black people in this country. And I think that that means to, to a lot of left-wing or, organizing spaces that the problem is one that A, is not necessarily worth centering. If you, if you only have so much time in one day and you only have so many resources and you only have so much ability to accomplish, right? Are you going to spend all your time yelling about a problem that's, that, that's, that's not as pressing or a problem that's a lot more pressing, right? So that's, that's, that's one of the reasons. The 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 other thing is I, I think like a lot of people are reluctant to um, um, a lot of people are reluctant to sort of give the right wing ammunition, you know, in in talking about this, that like they're they're kind of worried if we acknowledge that there's anti-Semitism in the black community, there's so much racism on the right that like that could get used. And, and just to give a bizarre example of this, like I've seen this in in, in my own life. I wrote an article. Um, um, I, I I wrote an article. Th this is from the other way. This is against Jews, not against Black people. I wrote an article uh, on my blog um, Hariani.com plug um, uh, a while ago, talking about you know I used to work at a driving school, and there were a lot, I, I used to take you know fellow from people, fellow Orthodox Jews on, on road tests. And we, we would have conversations about stuff. And a lot of times there was a lot of racist stuff said, and I would talk, I, I would address it. I would call it out and I would address it. And I had some very good conversations with people who, who, um, I, I guess it's a perfect corollary to what we're talking about. They didn't really hold very deeply racist views that would motivate them to actually do anything different. You know, like they wouldn't walk up to a black person in the street and call them the N word. They wouldn't like, be inclined to join like a unite the right rally, but at the same time, like it definitely did color their 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 opinions of black people. Pardon the pun, um, um, and and we we would have these conversations where I would try to dispel this 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 racism and sort of challenge them on it. And a lot of times they would back off, right? And there was this one guy who just wouldn't back off, right? So I had a long argument with him. I'm not going to get into it now. It's it's on my blog if anybody's really curious and. 
And I posted about this and I said, like, we need to do more to combat racism in our community because it's, it's, it's a problem. We interact with black people. It's a problem, right? There's no excuse for, for, for racism ever. Much in the same way that there's no excuse for, for anti-Semitism, there's no excuse for racism ever. And uh, uh, my piece got picked up by the Daily Stormer. Oh. And, and they, they, they wrote something. That I went back trying to, 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 to find it. I couldn't find it. Uh, it must have been deleted uh, during the, uh, you know, the shuffle of like the 10 times that the Daily Stormer has been deplatformed and forced to move. Um, but, but, uh, and I'm willing to let that go. Um, <laughs> um, but they, they wrote some dumb thing like, hey, look how bad the Jews are. They even hate the N-words. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're missing the point of this exercise, right? Because they're Nazis. and they're Nazis missing the point. Yeah, right. they're fundamentally looking for an excuse to say that Jews are bad. They don't think that black people are good. But they're more than happy to dunk on the Jews because I wrote an article about, about Jews being racist, right? So I, I think people are worried about a lot of that happening. That, like, the left is concerned if we talk about this publicly... And, you know, aside from not wanting to center ourselves, right, in, in a moment that's that, that where the m more pressing issue is um, systemic racism, right, um, they're worried that, like, they're giving a ammunition to the right because the right's then going to, to market to, to Jews and to the public at large, like, hey, why are we devoting so much time and energy to issues affecting black communities when, like, look how much anti-Semitism there is in these communities. These are the people that you want to help? Right. And this gets used all the time by the right against the left. And, and there's a, there's a lot of reticence to talk about it on the left precisely because it's very difficult to thread the, the uh, needle of, 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 you know, we stand unconditionally with black people and people of color against racism and uh, against systemic racism and bigotry while also refusing to make excuses for for anti-Semitism while simultaneously condemning it on, on the right and standing firmly with the people who need our assistance in fighting systemic racism. It's a very difficult needle to, 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 to thread. Um, it's why it took me 1,200 words to get it out. And I, could, and I couldn't get it down to two sentences, let, let's say, right? I, I don't put this stuff in tweet. I talk about it in long form because it's complicated, right? So, so, so these two things cause a reticence on the left to talk about it. And as a Jew, like, I see anti-Semitism on the right that's more like white supremacy inspired kind of right-wing anti-Semitism. And then I see anti-Semitism, um, I mean, Israel's a different issue. We're not, I'd rather not get into that, because, but there, there is a lot of anti-Semitism around like anti-Israel and, and full disclosure, I'm not any kind of Zionist, you know, but I, 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 I do see a lot of anti-Semitism um, coming from that space where like there are a lot of people who have negative opinions about Jews and, and will use any excuse to express them. It's, that's not to say that anti-Zionism is necessarily anti-Semitism, but it means that when you give people permission to dunk on Jews, some of them are going to use it as, as an excuse to just dunk on Jews right. for being Jews, right? So, 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 there's, there's, um, so I see that on the left, I see this on the right, and then I see like, I see the, the, the same leftist spaces that are trying to engage Jews in activism on behalf of black people against systemic racism, like not willing to put their foot down and condemn uh, or release statements or start dialogue with 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 organizing partners about this kind of anti-Semitism because A, they're worried about splitting the coalitions and B, they're worried about giving ammunition to the right. And I'm just sitting there as a Jew being like, well, I don't feel the right cares about me because, you know, because there are senators 
there are mainstream right-wing senators who are taking who are, who are taking pictures with people like the Proud Boys, who yeah, the Proud Boys themselves like might, might not have like anti-Semitic ideas in their masthead, but they certainly allow a lot of it to exist within their organization. There's a lot of overlap between let's say the Proud Boys and and the the former Traditionalist Workers Party and and like all sorts of of, of identity you you Europa groups. There's oh, the now you're touching the, my groups. There's here. the president of the 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 United States who you know has a really hard time con condemning the unite the, the 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 right rally where people are marching around with tiki torches and swastikas doing Nazi salutes and yelling Jews will not replace us. So I don't see a refuge for Jews in the right. And I look to the left and I see that they're re they're reticent to talk about anti-Semitism because they feel it's going to harm you know, some of their, their ability to organize either on an organizational level or just on like a, a media saturation level or giving ammunition to the right. And I'm like, where do I belong? Who cares about me? You know, if there are movements out there that, that are committed to, to, uh, uh, to fighting bigotry, right? Anti-Semitism should be somewhere on the list of intolerable ideas, but it, it, seems, it, it seems not to be. Right, right. So obviously I am from the right wing and uh, I do think the right cares about anti-Semitism. Uh, I think both sides, when it gets political, they just want to use things for, for political gain. That is very annoying because you won't solve anything. Um, I also think that like people exaggerate the danger of the alt-right because I think they're also a small group, like the, like the Black Hebrew Israelites. I think they're also a the small group. Proud Boys, I'm not the one to uh, defend Gavin McGinnish, you know, so I'm not going to do that here. <laughs> Maybe they didn't even fuck for us, I don't know. Uh, you know, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I see what you're saying, though. Neither side is going to go uh, defend the Jews. But how would you defend it? What, well, like what, what's, what needs to be done? Because I'm not someone who likes hate speech laws or things like that. Mm -hmm. I think like England right now is going too far with these things. Um, and, uh, and I, but I also don't like uh, doing nothing, right? But I don't know what to do. What would you like to see the right and the left do about it? I mean, I would like to 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 see that when that when anti-Semitism happens, like like people stop. And I know this is like asking too much because you know because there are a lot of issues that this doesn't happen on, which is a problem with politics in general. That 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 you know there there are certain issues that should be nonpartisan that just aren't. But but um, like child sexual abuse, I could go off on a whole tangent about that if you ever want a different podcast. But yeah, sure. But but I I feel like 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 let's say you're you're organizing with an organization where one of the members of that of that org, or organization said something anti-semitic i think that that should be handled and they said it publicly right i think that that should be handled publicly like whether or not you cut off your relationship with this organization that doesn't have to be on the table right like you know i'm not going to give any specific examples because i'm not looking to to start fights to, to start fights right but like there's there there should be a public statement issued saying like hey look we acknowledge that we organize with these people we also acknowledge that that we care about anti-semitism right we are publicly saying that we do not support anti-semitism and here are the steps that we're taking to ensure that this does not happen again that this organization that we reach out in solidarity and education to talk to this organization to this member of this organization to prevent this from ever happening instead of getting defensive about it and this happens this happens a lot in political movements. People get defensive about it because they 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 feel, oh, you're trying to dismantle what we're what we're doing because you're sidetracking us with something that has nothing to do with our mission, right? 
like like we are an organization that that are that 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 organizes around the idea of that that organizes around uh, uh, democratic socialism that fundamentally you know is is focused on 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 uh, on the intersections of race and class and 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 uh, and economic inequality racial inequality and we fight for 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 people who are downtrodden like like stop trying to sidetrack us with this like anti-Semitism stuff, it doesn't help our mission, right? Why should we talk about it? The thing is, like, I'm never going to stop showing up for, um, I'm never going to stop showing up for, uh, uh, for, for fight against racism. I'm never going to stop showing up to, to, to like left-wing or, or organizing generally, because I think that regardless of whether or not there's anti-Semitism, you know, in, in some of these movements and some of these organizations, I, I don't think the causes are, I don't think racism is justified in any way, because, because some of the people that we're fighting for are anti-Semitic, you know, but it would be nice if this got acknowledged. It would be nice if we could talk about it in public. It would be nice if we could rely on the organizations that count on, on us to show up for their causes to when we're the ones who are under attack, whether they think that like our need is as pressing as, as the needs of the people they're generally serving, it would be nice if they addressed it. It would be nice if they took a second to stop, acknowledge what just happened, talk about it, condemn it, and try to work in a concrete way with the, with, with, with the partners, with either their partners or partners in the space to kind of address that, whether this is on the left or the right. I, I, think, I think that more of that has to happen instead of immediately defensive reaction, like, oh, you're just attacking us. Oh, you're trying to use us as a, as a, as a political football. Right. There's a psychological thing that goes on also with people. Like, if your team gets attacked, then... Uh, yeah. I remember when Trump was taking on NATO, and Trump was taking uh, was defending uh, Brexit, which are two things. I'm skeptical of NATO, and I felt Brexit, once it was voted on, it should go through. And then Trump said something crazy. I forgot what it was. And I caught myself defending the crazy thing he said, because at the time, I was sympathetic to those two things he was doing. I don't... Like, I'm, I don't care the, talking bad about Trump, but in, at the moment, somehow, I think associated him with something that I cared about, and then I found myself defending it. So that's like a interesting psychological thing. Now, we have to go start ending this podcast. Um, yep. Uh, I hope, I hope that, like, that, like, the Jewish community itself could get together and, and find solutions to, uh, to anti-Semitism, and maybe reaching out, like uh, Rabbi Abram Cooper did, I think that was really good because I got to see Nick Cannon as a human being rather than, because I never heard of this guy. Right. As a human being rather than the guy who said crazy stuff about me and my kids, right? Yeah. So I think, I think that is a, a positive thing. I think that we can do on that. And maybe we could try to set left-wing, right-wing politics aside among Jews itself when we're trying to deal with anti-Semitism. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to work, but I think... <laughs> yeah, trying to get Jews to agree on, to, to agree on anything. Do <laughs> you, you have any closing words? Yeah, I think, I, I think that... Uh, I don't think I, I addressed this enough like in terms of, of solutions. I think that, that, the, you know, that Rabbi Cooper sitting down with Nick Cannon is actually great. Because like, if Nick Cannon is, is sincere, and he, he seems to, 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 to be, we'll, we'll find out eventually, I guess. But like... I feel like that is an excellent way of addressing it. That there is a lot of opportunity to educate this away, um, you know, to give perspective, to, to give a look into the other side, to humanize what it is to be a Jew, to demy to, 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 to sort of put a face 
to this idea that a lot of people have of what Jews are, I think that's that that's very powerful and very helpful. And I, I, I would love to see more of that. It's very positive. Okay, I, I, I want to thank you for coming on my show. You know, uh, and uh, maybe we'll do another topic another time. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, and that's it.